Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. This is Unbeaten. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you listening. Live from Amherst, Massachusetts, in the basement of the Murray D. Lincoln Campus Center, broadcasting on WMUA 91.1 FM and online streaming. Today is Thursday, March 29th. We have a great topic today, so let's get things started. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Unbeaten, another Thursday morning here on WMUA. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I think we're going to cover just some some general sports headlines to start the day. Uh, Johnny Manziel was seen at Texas A&M Pro, uh, Pro Day, so... They had Texas A&M had a few of their alumni return as Manziel and Mike Evans were both present at the event. Manziel, obviously, more of the uh, headline headlining act of the day as his comeback has sort of started to uh, pick up more attention in the media and throughout the league. So Manziel um, possibly trying to get a contract with an NFL team. I know there's been uh, a lot of rumors surrounding him potentially signing with the Patriots. I believe he met with uh, somebody on the staff or in the front office um, in the past couple of days. So that's obviously going to be a big story as he was the 2012 Heisman Award winner. I believe it was 2012. Um, but yeah, 25-year-old, uh, uh, former first-rounder, out of a job right now, uh, last played for the Cleveland Browns, as most people know. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if uh, the Patriots did end up signing him. The Patriots have signed sort of high-profile players, or I mean, obviously high-profile players, but players that sort of have uh, took a dip in performance and they took a chance on some 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 high-profile players. For example, Chad Ochocinco, um, Tim Tebow. So those are just a, a couple to name. But I think that it's, it's very possible that, um, you know, he ends up signing with us, I believe, there was somebody else. There was a defensive tackle that sort of fit that category. Um, I remember it was right after Myra Kraft passed. Let me see if I can look up the name here. His name's escaping me at the moment, but that's besides the point. Um, Manziel coming to the Patriots uh, potentially. I know there's been talks that he could potentially end up as. See, I'm speculating here, but a slot receiver or just to fill another role, you know, besides quarterback. But who knows? Um, anything past, you know, uh, what we already know is just sort of speculation. Um, 
I think moving on to MLB and sort of Red Sox news, the season starts today. Uh, the first game is in a few a few hours. Should start at I think roughly around four o'clock. It'll probably be delayed for ceremonies, but um, yeah, the Red Sox looking uh, fairly strong this year. I would say they even they look even stronger than last year. Um, coming out the gate, obviously having acquired J.D. Martinez, very uh, important role that he will play in the lineup, not only just as a power bat, but, you know, somebody that can hit more than singles because, you know, obviously they're looking for the long ball, they're looking for home runs to add this season as, you know, they finish pretty low in what was a record-breaking year for home runs around the league in the MLB. So, you know, not just home runs, but even even at the beginning of the season, uh, or really throughout the entire season, the Sox uh, lineup couldn't really get extra base hits. It was single after single after single, up, base hit, base hit. So not only does he, will he add the power, uh, like the long ball, but he'll, you know, probably bring more extra base hits and who knows Hanley looks like he's lost some weight this season he might you know I feel like he's one of those every other year guys so this might as last year he was a little quiet in terms of offensive production this year might be you know a little more pop in the bat this might be the he's back year um and he's getting up there in age he's probably around 35 so he's he's starting to wind down uh his career and uh, we're, I mean, we're lucky to get, you know, whatever we can out of him in terms of production, but I think that he's got more than most people think he does. I think that, you know, he could easily be a 30 home run guy this season. And last season, I mean, I know he hit about 23 home runs. The season before that, he hit 30. Uh, so I think this season he can, I think he can easily hit 30. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, like I said, it's the every other, I think, for him. And, um, you know, last year was certainly an adjustment without, you know, David Ortiz being there. I think maybe his role was somewhat confused. Um, he initially started off playing first a little bit. And then, you know, as the season progressed, I think he just sort of lazily slipped into the DH spot. Uh, so I think that, you know him being him maybe being in the field a little bit more this season. He'll probably be rotated in first base uh, more than last season potentially, and I think that you know he'll. I think I I, I probably said this before on the show, but a, a body in motion stays in motion. I think that you know if he's if he's doing a little more than just sitting in the clubhouse, uh, sitting in the clubhouse, sitting in the dugout waiting for you know his at bat DHing. You know you can potentially get cold it takes a certain kind of guy to maintain that success at DH for so long I think it's a harder position than most people you know give uh, credit for so also another thing I wanted to touch upon is the bullpen the bullpen actually looks probably the strongest it has in the last since the 2013 run I would say uh, when you had guys like Craig Breslow and Janichi Tozawa, and I think it was Koji Uihara closing out for us. So, 
it definitely looks the strongest since then. I know that the long-anticipated return uh, returns, I should say, of Tyler Thornburg and Carson Smith will be very, you know, it'll be exciting to see them sort of get back into a role where, you know, we didn't we didn't even see them play for a good majority of a year and a half. It's been close to two years now since the actual signing, and we haven't really gotten a lot in return because, obviously, you know, the Tyler Thornburg trade was a result of trading um, Shaw to the Brewers. So, you know, you see what you see what Shaw's doing over in Milwaukee, and you're hoping that we can get that sort of trade return here in Boston with Thornburg. Um, and, you know, Carson Smith actually finished off the season uh, on a pretty high note, I thought. So I think that them mixed with, you know, Joe Kelly and Matt Barnes, people forget about. But Matt Barnes had a fantastic season last year, at least in the beginning and certainly at Fenway. Barnes was absolutely dominant. He did struggle a little bit on the road. Um, not to mention that John Farrell, I don't think, really knew how to manage a bullpen. Or at least, you know, he didn't, I don't think he knew when to, you know, pitch certain pitchers and when to, I mean, obviously he's a, he's a major league manager, so he, just to a certain degree, he knows what he's doing. Obviously some managers are better at certain aspects of the game than others. John Farrell, probably not the strongest in managing a bullpen. Alex Cora coming in this year, the new guy, the new manager, uh, sort of a younger guy. I think he's a little more passive. Farrell wasn't known for being sort of like the clubhouse general or anything, but I definitely think Cora will be a lot more passive, laid back with these guys, sort of in the way that Terry Francona was uh, with the Sox back, you know, some years ago. But essentially, I think he'll give the guys a little bit of, first of all, We'll get back to the, the bullpen topic. I think he'll hopefully be able to manage a bullpen better than Farrell. I don't, we haven't really seen that yet. We've seen a few spring training games, but that, you know, obviously doesn't mean a whole lot. But uh, transitioning into also how will he mix with the team? How, what will his chemistry be like with the team? And how will that mesh with? the team and his his managing styles and I think that I think that he'll give them a little bit more room he's younger so and, and you know he's not too far removed from the game I I know that Pedroia was on the roster Pedroia is probably the only player that was on the roster when Cora was so he'll obviously be able to bond with Pedroia who's become the clear you know, sort of veteran leader of the team, especially with David Ortiz now gone. It's it's Pedroia's team to lead. Uh, he's the guy they all look up to. So, but getting back to Cora, I think that you know he'll give them the space they need to play. I know Farrell, especially with I think he'll be a good mentor for the young guys. Um, Farrell would give the veterans um, a lot of preferential treatment apparently, and he would give. He would give the young guys space, but not in the way you would want, you know, space. Like, not like the freedom to 
sort of play how you want and play the style you want. But and this is all through things I've read. Um, but Farrell would sort of give them space in the sense that he would sort of like shun them in a way. Uh, he I don't think was a good uh, sort of teacher. And it was said that, you know, he would hang out more with the veteran guys and he wouldn't really, you know, give a lot of whole whole lot of constructive criticism or feedback to the younger guys. And um, I think it was through an interview with, I think it was Jared Carabas over at Barstool Sports that he was speaking to one of the former Red Sox players and he sort of said that, you know, the, the former player was saying that Farrell doesn't, doesn't really care to show the young guys what to do. It's sort of a figure it out on your own kind of mentality. Uh, so maybe now with Cora coming in, it'll be, especially with a new manager, you'd think, okay, there's probably, he's not comfortable with a lot of the guys besides maybe Pedroia. So it's more just like an equal treatment of everyone. Hopefully, veterans and younger guys, because the team does have a you know a good mix. It is a younger, a bit of a younger team, but uh, all those young guys that were rookies like f- four or five years ago, Bogarts, Bradley Jr., um, Mookie Betts, you know, we're starting to see them now like become four or five year players. So not quite veterans yet, but they're pretty close. They're definitely getting there. Uh, so, like I said, a mix of both young and old guys, it, you know, it'll, it'll be good to see whether or not this team can step up from next year. Obviously, they got the Yankees, uh, looking in on them as well, so I think it'll be a tight race. With that being said, uh, we're going to cut to a short commercial break when we come back. We'll discuss uh, some UMass sports, um, and if we have time, just anything else. So we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Unbeaten on WMUA 91.1 FM. This is WMUA Sports. UMass Minute Women Basketball on WMUA is supported by listeners like you and by Collective Copies, a worker-owned print shop with a mission. Printing, publishing, and promotion, 11 worker owners who share over 150 years of experience in the print industry are there to help you at every step. Collective Copies in Amherst and Florence and online 24-7 at collectivecopies.com. for staying with us another Thursday morning sort of sort of a cloudy one out today some rain in the forecast hopefully you know we'll start seeing some warmer weather in the Amherst area especially with a lot of spring sports being played outdoors UMass athletics like I said in the spring season at this point all the winter sports have wrapped up I believe we touched upon that in the last episode we sort of did a recap of 
the winter sports teams. But we, and I said I would, after recapping the winter sports teams, that we would sort of preview the spring season. I believe we actually ran out of time. We didn't really have a lot of time to discuss uh, spring sports. And now it's more of, it's not even really a preview anymore. We could say it's a preview of conference play because conference play, I think most teams are starting to now get into uh, A-10 play which I think mostly, I think, all those, I think all the spring sports teams are in the A-10. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, though. A good majority of them are. Um, so, yeah, it's not really a preview because the season's already started, but we can definitely sort of start to preview the A-10 as that is uh, coming up for most of the spring sports. So, to avoid myself... To avoid repeating myself, I'm just going to start going into some headlines. Uh, Colorin was named for the uh, UMass softball team, named A-10 Co-Pitcher of the Week. Meg Colorin earned the weekly honor after going 2-0 in the circle while holding LaSalle to a mere .080 batting average. I know Colorin was a key contributor to last year's success in which I believe they they were the runners-up in the A-10 for softball. And Colorin's probably their best pitcher uh, right now, so good for the softball team uh, looking to make another deep run in the A-10. Trainier, Turner, and Yara. Suits, uh, sorry, I'm terrible with names on this show. Uh, they share the UMass Student Athlete of the Week honors lacrosse and uh, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse, and tennis players. That trio, they were dominant in their respective performances. Um, I don't know a whole lot about, it looks like his name's Trainier and Yurazutsa, but I do know about Holly Turner. She's the women's lacrosse player. Uh, probably, arguably, you could say the best player. She probably shares best player with um, Hannah Burnett. But Holly Turner uh, definitely had a big game as she was able to <clears throat> lead the come-from-behind effort against Harvard. I was actually at that game. That was about a week ago, so that was last Thursday. Um, she notched seven points. Five goals, no surprise, a very dominant offensive uh, player. So she has, I think she might lead the team with uh, with points as of now. Uh, trainer, maybe it's Trainer, bad with last names. Like I said, he scored a career-high four goals, led Massachusetts to a 14-12 victory over Brown University. This is uh, UMass men's lacrosse, by the way. Um, that game was on the road last Saturday, and it looks like his goals total doubled his previous one. His goal total doubled the previous one uh, from his previous one-game best of two tallies. So um, he did that eight times before, but he has never scored four goals in one game. So that's uh, very impressive. UMass lacrosse. Don't know a whole lot about them. 
we should actually look them up and see how they're doing. UMass Lacrosse currently at an overall record of 5 and 4. Their conference play has not started yet. It looks like they are at Drexel. Oh, so they are in It looks like the CAA. So maybe they're not in the A10. Um so they're going to open up conference play against Drexel and then they'll play Delaware and then Towson, Fairfield and Hofstra. And then their CAA championship will start on May 3rd. So not a whole lot of games uh, for lacrosse. They did play a lot of uh, non-conference games, though. So they played nine non-conference games, and it looks like they only have... They only play one, two, three, four, five. They play each of the other five teams in the CAA. Uh, and then it, I guess that determines championship seeding, and their tournament will start, like I said... May 5th, so that's how the men's lacrosse team is doing. Um, going, Getting back to the headlines, I think it was our last player of the week was Yurizutsa. Um, so she helped the Minute Women uh, tennis team to their first ever spring season victory over an Ivy League opponent. Uh, and that was against Yale. That was last Saturday. They claimed the 4-3 win over the Bulldogs. Um, and she teamed with Laura Marino for a 6-3 win over Yale's top uh, doubles pairing. So, dominant victory for her. Uh, when she went to the number two singles court, she uh, won 6-2, 6-1 in that win, um, and that allowed Massachusetts to extend the team score to 3-1, to one, which eventually led to the 4-3 to three victory. Next uh, headline says, Connolly wins CAA Rookie of the Week. So that would be uh, men's lacrosse that we're talking about. So Chris Connolly won the uh, CAA, which is the Colonial Athletic Association uh, Rookie of the Week. Uh, he, was, uh, he won that award on Monday. Announced by league office, uh, Connolly provided a pair of goals on four shots, handed out three assists, scooped up a pair of ground balls. Massachusetts uh, took the 14-12 win over Brown um, at their own field. So that was that's very cool. Ben uh, Spencer was another player that had a good game. Uh, he made the game 3-1. to one. Early on, uh, Connolly assisted that goal. Uh, UMass lacrosse playing Drexel later on this week, and Drexel's Reed Bowering won the CAA Player of the Week after he provided a hat trick, two assists, and also a double overtime game winner. So two CAA uh, Rookie of the Weeks or Player of the Week are facing off against each other. Next, uh, at some point later on this week, I think that game is Thursday, in Drexel, or at Drexel, I should say. Um, sort of moving on to the next headline, the UMass spring football game will be played Friday, April 13th, 
It'll be at 6 p.m. at McGurk Alumni Stadium, right across the street from Southwest. So, uh, I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, UMass football team in the spring game coming up. UMass football having some flashes of success uh, during the season. You know, obviously they didn't finish with the record they would have hoped for, but Mark Whipple... Uh, I believe will coach again, longtime coach for the Minutemen, um, and I think it's it's also that the team is dropping. They're staying in Division One, obviously because of the school size, but I think over time they're going to start moving back to like what they used to be in. I think they might have they might have been in like Double A or whatever. They they weren't in the. I don't think they were always in the FBS. So, because I think they're in the independent, uh, like, sort of conference. It's not really a conference. It's just in teams that are independently uh, made up. But getting back to the main focus here, which is the spring game, it'll be, it'll be nice, I think, for students to get out and, you know, potentially show support for a team that's getting better better I mean they're not improving at the rate that the basketball and hockey teams are in my opinion but um, sadly I think that a lot of fans won't attend I know you know they will attend probably the tailgate before the game which isn't super surprising Um, but then I'm going to guess that a lot of people are just going to sort of turn around and go back to you know (laughs) go back to their dorms or their houses and not watch the game. So I think, you know, it's only a spring game, so obviously they're not expecting a huge turnout, but I think that if they did have a good amount of fans there, it would let the team know that, you know, they have the fans behind them and sort of, you know, they can they have that backing. And that, I think, translates into more team confidence and sort of, team purpose like why you're playing here and why you chose to come here because you know I think that most athletes would want to see a stadium filled you know as as full as possible and I know McGurk never gets filled but whatever I'm going to transition into sort of because I'm looking at the spring game advertisement on the UMass uh, athletics website and it's, it says spring game, and then it says all the info, like Friday, April 13th. And then it's got a picture of one of the players wearing a red jersey and the white throwback helmets that they wore. I think it was only one time last season, the one time they wore the throwback helmet. They might have worn them twice, but as far as I know, it was maybe just that once. It's the throwback uh, University of Massachusetts logo where it's sort of the – the overlaid U and M, uh, sort of like the New York Yankees, how they have the overlaid NY. Uh, it's sort of the same, but it's U M, obviously for UMass. I think that logo looks crisper and cleaner than the Power U. Um, see, I'm I'm sort of going to transition. We don't have a whole lot of time left on the show, but I sort of want to talk about the athletics branding and the um, logos that they use. I don't think the power used necessarily a bad logo, but I think that there could 
be a better, we could come up with a better solution. And after seeing the throwback, I thought it looked really clean. It's very simple. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of powerhouse college football teams really have those just like simple logos that look really good, I think. So I think the simpler, the better. Also, I'd like to see the Massachusetts brand get used more. I think that a lot of a lot of the uh, teams here on campus have UMass. I know they they actually have gotten better with putting Massachusetts on a lot of the athletic jerseys, but um, I feel like a lot of the jerseys just say like UMass on them, which I think it looks cooler when it says Massachusetts when it's all spelled out. Um, I know sometimes it could look funny just because Massachusetts has so many letters. It's such a long name for a state. But it's sort of that pride in Massachusetts and sporting, you know, the whole the whole name. And it looks I think it looks cool. So in my opinion, and I'm, I'm also glad that there's there's no place for Amherst in the athletics branding, just because, you know, at that point, we're already getting into too many letters and other things that it's like we, you don't even need to consider putting Amherst in there. So I'm glad that they uh, don't even really consider that. Um, that's just a few, you know, my few opinions on that. Uh, so thank you guys for listening in, uh, to unbeaten. We'll see you here next week. Same time, same place.